0: that can be found on the back of your bulletin. This is Galatians 5:13 through 15. Galatians 5:13 through 15. Paul is speaking to the church at Galatia, and he says, "For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The word of the Lord. Well, um, we don't often go to the movies, but we have been to the movies uh, several uh, times in recent past. In fact, we went to one movie yesterday. What was that movie called? Plane with Fire. A ridiculous and goofy movie and encourage you to wait for the video. It is maybe worth the 75 cents if you go to Blockbuster and get. Does anyone still go to Blockbuster? By the way, shame, shame. I still have a Betamax at my house. I really enjoy using that. That movie might be a pass, but one movie that is not a pass is uh, the movie Harriet Tubman. I think it was called Harriet Tubman. I'm not sure what it was called. Harriet. What an unbelievable movie! And it's the story, of course, of Harriet Tubman, the the escaped slave who helped. Uh, run the, the Underground Railroad helping slaves to go uh, from slavery to freedom. It's a beautiful picture. And uh, this, this woman, I did not know that much about her. An amazing story of how, A, she escaped slavery, uh, but then almost immediately went back into slave territory, I believe several times alone, to leave slaves out. I think she took seven trips and liberated over 150 people. In addition to being part of other efforts uh, to liberate slaves. And um, the reason I bring up Harriet Tubman is because we're discussing uh, in this sermon, we're talking about freedom. And uh, what is freedom? What is Paul talking about here? And for freedom in our world, our world describes freedom really as freedom from any constraints, if you will, freedom from any obligations. Uh, to anyone else around us, no one to tell us what we have to do. Then we're truly free. But Tubman saw freedom in a different way, didn't she? Because when she had gained her freedom, she immediately moved back into that world of slavery with the sole goal of freeing others as well. She saw freedom, if you will, as the opportunity to free other people. In fact, she could not uh, live a placid existence outside of the mission of showing love and being a part of freeing others. I think that's really what Paul is talking about here, that Paul is setting out to define the freedom that you and I are called to as Christians. How do we live out this freedom that we have in Christ? And so we have a choice of how we can choose our freedom. And what Paul is saying is that we must choose to live out our freedom by living a life toward each other, toward our neighbor. Now, how am I going to unpack that statement? I want to unpack that statement by doing exactly kind of what Paul is doing here. Paul is explaining Christian freedom by explaining what Christian freedom is not. And so I want to bring up three points that help us to understand what Christian freedom is by showing what Christian freedom is not. Number one, Christian freedom is not freedom to live a self-centered life. Number two, Christian freedom is not freedom to disregard my neighbor. And finally, number three, Christian freedom is not freedom to disregard the law. So let's begin with point number one. Christian freedom is not freedom to live a self-centered life. Paul starts out in verse 13 with, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Notice that Paul is communicating to the church that you were called to freedom. That this is God's doing. It's not something that we stumbled upon, that we discovered. A freedom that we could have on our own. In the same way as Harriet Tubman had to go into that world to lead people out of slavery into freedom, it's God who has come into our world through the person of Jesus Christ, who has identified with us, who has lived as we have lived, and who has called us out of sin and slavery into freedom. In fact, it's Paul in Galatians 1.15 that says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace... Paul is saying to brothers, everyone and himself, that we have been called to freedom. And notice that he says not that we are called to freedom or that we will be called to freedom, but we were called to freedom. If you are a Christian, this is something God has already done in your life. He's called you to freedom. Now, what is this freedom that he's talking about? talked about this last week, that namely it's a freedom of conscience. It's a freedom of right standing before God. See, inside of our hearts, when you are not a believer, I don't know if, you've, uh, uh, if you remember not being a believer, I'm sure there's folks in our congregation who are seeking, that you'll identify with this, that there's this pit in our stomach or there's an emptiness in our heart that is constantly whispering to us that you are never enough. That you never measure up. That nothing is ever enough. There's no peace. Indeed, there's a foreboding sense that there is going to be some sort of judgment upon my life for the life that I've lived. But what the gospel does, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, is He has freed us from that guilt, from that debt of sin. And He's made us righteous in His sight through Jesus Christ. Indeed, he's adopted us as his children. He looks upon us as he he looks upon Jesus Christ with pleasure, with forgiveness, with acceptance, with mercy without merit he looks upon us. And as such, we have a freedom before God that we can boldly come into his throne room, that we can call him Abba, Father. That's the freedom that Paul is talking about. But, Paul then gives a qualification, doesn't he? You, my brothers, were called to freedom only. In other words, this is how you are to live out your freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Notice that he says, do not use your freedom. In other words, we will use our freedom for something. It's not static. We have to live out our freedom We're supposed to live out our freedom in this world because if we have been called to freedom and it's a past tense, we have freedom now. Now the question is, what are we going to do with it? So we have an opportunity to do something with our freedom. And since he's saying, do not use your freedom, we have an opportunity to use our freedom rightly and we have an opportunity to use our freedom wrongly. We can abuse this freedom that God has given us. And so Paul is qualifying his statement by saying do not use this freedom that God has given you as an opportunity for the flesh. What, is that, what does that mean, opportunity for the flesh? Well, the word opportunity in the Greek uh, signifies a, a base camp of an army. It's from where they would stage an offensive launch, if you will. Do not use this freedom as an offensive launch for the flesh. Now he's not talking about muscle and bone. He's not talking about flesh in that way. When he's talking about flesh, he's talking about living a life that's independent of God's rule, a self-centered life, if you will, a self-focused life in which I am the beginning and the end. I don't need God. I'm not beholden to anyone else. It's that same type of life that Adam and Eve chose in the garden, when God gave them commands to obey, but they said, we really don't, aren't interested in what you have to tell us. We're gonna do what we're going to do. Paul says, do not use this freedom of conscience as an opportunity to live a self-centered life. What Paul is revealing to us is that there are really two types of slavery for the Christian. The first type of slavery is legalism. In fact, that's what I've been preaching on for the last six, seven, eight weeks and it's been the first five chapters of Galatians. Legalism is trusting in my efforts, in my energies, in my obedience to the law to be right before God. And Paul is saying if you trust in your own efforts rather than in Christ, Christ is of no use to you and you are a slave. But notice Paul is turning The corner, and he's talking about a second type of slave master, not legalism, but rather license. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh because what will happen, Paul is saying, is that if you choose to live a life of self-centeredness, you will ultimately become in bondage to your fleshly desires. Jesus said it clearly enough in John 8 34. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And 2 Peter 2.19 says, For whatever has overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. In other words, if you believe the mindset of the world that true freedom is throwing off all constraints and not having any master whatsoever, far from becoming free. What will actually occur is you will be in slavery to your own sin, to your own appetites. It's a second type of slavery. So Paul is saying they're two different masters. You were called to freedom from the obligations of the law in the sense of condemning us, from the condemnation of the law. Now don't fall into a new slavery in which you are a slave to the appetites of your old, fallen self. Reminds me of the story when I got two speeding tickets in one day. It's true, your pastor is somewhat of a speed demon. I was driving back from Roanoke with my family, and uh, we were taking 460, and that's when you head through Blackstone and Crewe and all those areas where they're just waiting for you. They're just, it's like a spider's web, isn't it, right? and they quickly changed the speed, uh, you, know, the, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the speed limit signs. Well, I got ensnared in one, I got pulled over, and this gentleman came and, uh, you know, started asking me all the questions, You know, why were you speeding, blah, blah, blah. I'm extremely embarrassed, you know, and so on. And as he's writing the ticket, he says, well, tell me, what do you do for work? Which is a strange question. Police don't often ask that. And I said, well, I'm a a pastor. And he he said, what? What is I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, really? I love my church. And he starts going off about his church and his mission trip, blah, blah, blah. Tears up the ticket, throws it away. I am free at last. I couldn't believe it. That's never happened before. What the grace, if you will, was upon me, that though I was guilty, I was set free. And so what did I proceed to do? Get in my car and put my foot down as hard as possible. Why? Because I wanted to get home. And sure enough, 45 minutes later, here came the, the sirens, right? There was no question as to Uh, what was my occupation. You see, I had received grace the first time. I got the law the second time. I used the freedom that I had had to indulge my own desires, if you will. And I fell victim to a second form of slavery. That's a bit over know, no, No analogy really is of perfect, is it? But I just wanted to tell the story. The point is, that we can choose how we use our freedom. God has set us free. We're free before God. There is no condemnation in the same way he's taken the ticket and he's thrown it away. And the way he's thrown it away is by nailing it to the cross. You know, Jesus Christ often forgives sinners but he never forgives sin. It always has to be paid for. And my sins, past, present, and future were paid on the cross. And so the question is, how am I going to live with that freedom in this world? I can go ahead and live out and choose what I want to do. Or I can live in accordance with God's will and God's ways because He's the one who loves me. And He has a plan for my life. And if I choose to abuse my freedom by living a self-centered, self-focused life, far from being free, I will ultimately discover that I'm in bondage. I'm in bondage to my appetites. I'm in bondage to my desires. I'm in bondage to the world, what the world says I should have and who I should be. Because we can choose how we use our freedom. We must choose to live out our freedom, not by living for self, but living a life of love toward our neighbor. This brings me to my second point that Christian freedom is not freedom to disregard my neighbor. Paul says you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, but through love, serve one another. Christian freedom is no more freedom to do as I please, irrespective of the good of my neighbor, than it is freedom to do as I please in the indulgence of my flesh. It's freedom to approach God without fear, not freedom to exploit my neighbor without love but through love, serve one another. Paul is saying that we can choose to serve self, to self-love, or to love those around us. Indeed, he's going further than saying, make your choice. He's saying that we are commanded to do so. We are commanded to love them and through love to serve them. We're not to use people around us as if they were things to serve us, We are to respect them as persons and give ourselves to serve them. This word serve in the Greek, doulos, actually means slave. To be a willing slave to them. It's almost ironic, isn't it, when he's talking about freedom, that you find freedom in becoming a slave to one another. There's a mutual slavery, if you will. He's speaking to the church here. He's speaking to our relationships with each other. So from one point of view, Christian freedom is a form of slavery. Not to our flesh, but to our neighbor. And how are we to serve our neighbor, to be a slave to them? Not through compulsion, but rather through love. But through love, serve one another. God is saying, I've set your heart free from condemnation. I've shown you my love, even though you did not deserve it. I've demonstrated my love to you, and that while you were yet a sinner, I died for you. You have all the love and acceptance you ever could need from me. Now go and show it to those around you. Take my love. Take my freedom that I've given you, and set people free around you. Give them love. It's a paradox, isn't it? Our world says that true freedom is freedom to fulfill our natural desires, to have no restraints on top of us. But the reality is true freedom liberates us from our selfish will so that we can find joy in serving others. It's easy to believe the lie of the world. But we must look to Jesus Christ. Because there's no one that demonstrated this more than Jesus, right? The king of the universe, the one who sustains everything, all the orbits of the planets, every single molecule moving in its proper orbit in your body is maintained by Jesus Christ, the image of God. And yet when a dispute arose among the disciples as to which one would be regarded as the greatest, he said to them that the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. In other words, this is how the world works. But not so with you. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is the one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? For even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Was there anyone more truly free than Jesus Christ? And yet his life was a demonstration of service and willing slavery to people, putting himself under us to the point of dying on the cross for you and me. When would a king ever take off his outer garments and wrap a towel around him and take a basin of water and wash his servants' dirty feet? Jesus is demonstrating, oh, there's a movement. He's running. He's rounding the corner. He's safe. Okay, let's continue. Who God is, is who we are meant to be. The most free person, what you will and I will discover is that we find freedom when we submit ourselves and when we serve one another in love. I want to read you a journal entry from my son, my oldest son, Mark Rodriguez. For some of you who don't know, um, my oldest son uh, went to be with the Lord, I think it's about five years now. Uh, but he blessed us by um, write, uh, keeping a journal. And he shared a lot in his journal about his own inner private life with the Lord. And in fact, I think I've, he has demonstrated to me, maybe more than anyone, this, this truth about freedom that comes with loving one another. He's in Nicaragua. He convinced us to go down to Nicaragua for a month, just him with some other people to serve people there. And so he's sharing. This is August 10th. 2013 medical day I helped at the glasses station and with basic translating we only had adult sizes so when the little kids come came through their eyes looked huge through their lenses this is an interesting thing dr. Dan had a patient who had a cockroach stuck in her ear he did what he could but in the end she had to go to the hospital gotta love Nicaragua right one patient was a girl about my age Who was cutting and being beaten by her brother at home. As she left, I smiled at her and she smiled back through her tears. So awesome. Served about 80 people, 400 in total, over our three days. And then he wrote I don't want to love, I don't want to love because I want to love. I want to love because the Spirit within me causes me to abound in love for God and for others. Just read Matthew's account of Jesus' death and the resurrection. And then he quotes, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I don't want to be known as a spiritual or religious or someone with and prayers. I want to be known as someone who loves. I think Mark might have been the freest one of all of us. See, God has saved us to live a free life on this earth. But all too often we squander it by listening to the world, don't we? That you'll find freedom in self-preservation, in self-focus, in selfishness. But the paradox is, as we give ourselves away in love to one another, we find true freedom. Jesus has given us a never-ending source of love. And he commands us to go and love our neighbor So who is my neighbor? That's the theme, if you will, of the year, isn't it? We're going to be talking about that in our congregational meeting. Well, who is my neighbor in the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, started out with the person who was nearest to him. As the Samaritan was walking upon the road, he came upon someone. So I think it starts with those who are nearest to us. If you're a husband... You are free if you ask yourself, how can I serve my wife? How can I make her stronger in the Lord? If you're a wife, you'll experience freedom as you ask and do. In what ways can I support and affirm my husband so that he's strengthened spiritually? As we love our kids, as we love our family, as we serve them, And then it moves on to our congregation, does it not? There's our physical family, and then there's our church family. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. Indeed, the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I guess we could take that same statement that Mark said and say, I don't want us to be known as a church that has a grandiose building and a wonderful band and unbelievable programs. I want us to be known as a church that loves. Love is the most precious and scarce resource on the earth. And what Jesus has said is, I am a fountain welling up in you, and as you give yourself away, you experience my love more and more. And in doing so, you find freedom in this life. My friends, we must choose how we use our freedom. We must choose to live out our freedom by living a life of love toward one another. Finally, this brings me to my final point. Christian freedom is not freedom to disregard the law. Verse 14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But wait a second, Paul. I thought you said if we were Christians that we have been set free from the law, that we are no longer under the law and that we must not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul is speaking of the law in a certain way there. What he's saying is we're no longer slaves to the condemnation of the law because Jesus Christ has saved us and reconciled us. In other words, we don't have to trust in the law, and obey the law in order to become right with God. Don't submit back to that slavery of depending on your own effort and performance. That's what Paul's been talking about for the first five chapters. But he's not saying that we are not obligated to obey the will of God, the law of God, because that ultimately is what the law is, is it not? It's the law, it's the will of God. It's what God wants for us. It's what God wants for this world. And it's still valid. To be sure, the New Testament informs the Old Testament. The law doesn't tell us that we have to continue to offer sacrifices or to obey certain ceremonial days in order because those things have been abrogated, taken away with Jesus Christ but the New Testament takes the Old Testament and it helps us to understand what the will of God is. See, we've been brought into a family, the family of God. And every family has rules, does it not? It's who we are to be with one another. It's how we are to live. And our Heavenly Father has given us His will in His Word. And what that will says to us, is that we are to love God by loving one another. Think about it. Commands like, do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery, are all simply ways of saying, show love to your neighbor. How is it that loving is a fulfillment of the law? Well, it's because no rule book could ever summarize all that is involved in loving others. Relationships are too varied and they're too complex. But what it's saying is that the point of all of this, the point of the family rules is to love one another because when you love one another, you're like God. Owe no one anything, Paul says in Romans 13, except the obligation to love one another. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Although we cannot gain acceptance by keeping the law, yet once we have been accepted, we shall keep the law out of love for him who has accepted us and given us his Holy Spirit. So what's beautiful about this is that God not only gives us the, the power to love, the reason to love, the resource to love, but indeed the rule book to love. He helps us to see what it means to love our neighbor in a variety of different circumstances. Now, the law is still in place, not as our condemnation, but rather as our guide, as a rule. So I guess I get to the so what of my sermon. Wow, this has been great, Carlos. So what? What am I to do with all of this? I think what Paul is saying to us is first to remember and recognize that you were called to freedom, that if indeed you are a Christian, there is no condemnation from God toward you. All of it has been paid for in Jesus Christ. But God has so much more that he wants for your life as a father for his child. He wants you to live out that love that he has for you, not by choosing a life of self-centeredness and selfishness, but by choosing to love one another Because when you do that, you will begin to discover in this world what it means to be truly free. The law guides us, and so we're blessed with that. But we must choose how to use our freedom for self or for others. I hope that we choose to live out our freedom by living a life toward each other and our neighbor because that's what it means to be truly free. Let's pray. God, it's a paradox. Our flesh and the world and the devil all say to us, that if you don't live a life of self-centeredness, that if you don't take care of number one, that if you reach out and love others, even to your detriment, that that is slavery. But the truth is found in you, God, that you demonstrated through Jesus Christ that though he was equal to God in God's nature, he made himself taking taking the form of a servant. God, help us to live out our freedom by choosing to love those around us closest, our friends, our family, those in the cubicle across from us, Lord, even our enemies. We don't want to be known as a church that has it all together. We want to be known as a church who loves. By your spirit, do that work in our lives. We pray in Christ's name.